Historically, people of color and white people have experienced schooling differently. As a result of this country's racist history, it is much easier to have your voice heard and receive extensions of grace if you fall within the dominant culture. In America's case, as a white male. Unfortunately, the education system tends to follow similar patterns with their history of marginalization. Most commonly, marginalization is defined as the treatment of a person, group, or concept as insignificant or peripheral. In schools, this can manifest as social exclusion, minimal access to mental health resources, limitations in tutoring based on socio socioeconomic status, etc. Although it is known that the non-dominant groups face the most marginalization within society, education more specifically, there is less information on the impact this can have on one's personal life. As a queer black woman, woman, I have had enough experience with marginalization to carry over a few lifetimes. However, to tackle this issue, I'm going to add to my own personal experience by talking to other students on the UT campus. Through these interviews, we will listen as they describe their encounters with marginalization within the education system. My first guest is Ale, a third year student majoring in international relations. We start our interview by discussing his understanding of marginalization. If I had, if I had to like just define it, I'd probably say it's um, when, when a, a group um, is, is kind of uh, pushed aside in society in a way where they're uh, at a disadvantage. And I, I would tend to, I would tend to associate this uh, with, with minority groups. Um, in, in any in any case, um, or uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think that's pretty good. You touched all the bases. First, I wanted to get familiar with his relationship in regards to education. Initially, I, well, I've been I've been in like private school, or I had been rather uh, all throughout elementary and middle school, um, and then my first public school experience was in high school. Although I should note, it was at a magnet school rather than just a regular like uh, public school. And what have been like your major takeaways from that? Um, it, it depends because I could definitely see in the instances where I uh, participated in just like the regular public school curriculum, like for example, like the theater program that I was uh, a part of, um, I could definitely see the disparity between funding uh, in, in that instance as compared to uh, my previous experience in private school. Um, and, and this is kind of like across the board. I, I, I hesitate to apply that same like aspect of funding to just my regular high school education because that was again at a magnet school. Um, but if I had to just compare the two, I definitely see like heavy, uh, heavy disparities between my private school education and, and the small part that I had in a public school. Next, we start to dig a little deeper. I asked Ale to apply this to his own life as a native Spanish speaker. Have you personally experienced anything like this within your educational career? Um, I don't think so, no. Um, uh, well, it, it depends on what you... It, if you mean it in a social aspect, perhaps. Um, but in terms of, like, my, my own personal education and... and um, like the structure 
then probably not. Do you care to speak more to the social aspect? Uh, sure. I, I, I would probably attribute that to like, um, like, like going to, going to like a private elementary school, um, as a, as a native, or, well, I, I should, I should mention that the private elementary school and middle school that I went to were predominant, or uh, the population that attended that was predominantly white. And going to that school uh, as, as someone whose native language was Spanish, uh, and this is probably more uh, so in my elementary school years, I, I definitely experienced probably some form of social margin marginalization, rather. So in the long run, have you noticed any long-term impacts or any differences that you're able to, to see? In, in regards to what? Into how you were treated. So do you think that you have any long-term impacts from how you were treated or from any type of social marginalization you may have experienced then? Prob like probably. I, I'd, I'd have to think further about like how that's affected me. Mm -hmm. But if anything, I've, I'm definitely more aware uh, when I see that uh, just because I can, I can look back to my own personal experience. So, uh, I don't know if I don't know if you mean like ha has it affected me in any noticeable way? Um, maybe not now, as much as when I was younger. Uh, do you have enough uh, memory to speak about how you were impacted when you were younger? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely probably like really insecure about like the way I spoke or like how I interacted with like different students. Um, but I I I would. Again, like, I don't, I don't know whether to attribute this to like marginalization or just like, like bullying or like, would I, do I want to conflate those two things? I don't know. Well, I think it's easy to say that um, some of that bullying stemmed from the fact that you were a native Spanish speaker. Sure, yeah. yeah. Did Trying to push further into this, we began to discuss whether outlets or resources were made available to him within the school system to help with those insecurities. Do you recall any sort of outlets you turned to to help alleviate these, um, these effects that you were experiencing or going through? Oh, no. No? How do you think that has impacted you, if at all? Mm. I, don't, I, don't know that it, I don't know that it has. Do, do you mean like as, as when I was younger, rather, did I have outlets to like what did you have outlets to express what you were going through or anyone to talk to any authority figures within family or school oh no i because i didn't think that it was like anything that i had to i did i didn't as a little kid i didn't have the agency or like the insight to like you know do that so no um i know you said before that it's impacted you in a different way now so that if you had seen it now you would be reacting differently yeah, yeah. Of so, um, in regards to that or any other types of marginalization, do you see examples of that in your educational community today? Do I see examples of marginalization in my edu educational community? Yeah, marginalization in general, or if you just want to stick with that specific example that we were discussing before. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, like, because I definitely, I don't want to... I want to speak to what I've experienced rather than what I know, because I, I like going to, you know, going to UT, 
I, I know what the demographics are here. I know like what kind of people can afford to go to university. Um, and those tend to be predominantly like white individuals or those who are from uh, a, a higher so-called social class. Um, so I'd imagine that if I were to ask people, um, you know, what their background is, well, first I can see that the majority of people here on campus are white. Um, but aside from that, I don't think it's, it's too uh, outlandish to also associate that with they're probably not from a more disadvantaged social class. Right. Socioeconomic class, rather. So you haven't had any like personal one-on-one -on -one experience with issues of marginalization at UT? Personally, no. Okay. I think Ale makes a good point here. Just because he hasn't come face-to-face -face with marginalization on the UT campus, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist or doesn't happen. Next, I ask if he has any solutions or recommendations to make the university more inclusive. Um, but if you could improve one way these problems were addressed within either the college system or educational system in, in general, what, what would you want to change? Oh my God. Well, it's specifically for uh, university, especially like a public university like uh, UT, um, I'm of the belief that it should it should probably extend its its um, uh, waiving of tuition towards everybody, um, just because I like I I think that college should be free, and I think that fixes a lot of the issues of people who can't afford going to to, to go to college, not going to college, uh, and receiving that higher education. Um, okay, that's a pretty good idea. How do you, how would you address then paying for salaries and uh, funding other sort of events and amenities on campus. How would I address that in the university system? Yes, if tuition is free. Oh, well, I, I don't think that the majority of UT's funding comes from tuition. Um, I don't know specifically, um, but I, I, I would, I, as a public university, I would probably like, or I would hope that the government would allocate funds towards that university. He's right. According to a 2019 article by the Daily Texan, tuition only makes up 22% of UT's funding, and there's definitely space to lower tuition. I then asked Ali a difficult question. I asked him to take a look on the other side of the coin and consider his contributions to marginalizing fellow students. That is a hope. Um, now, this is a touchy question. If you don't feel comfortable answering it, that's fine. Okay. But have you ever personally contributed to issues or aspects of marginalization within your educational career? What would that look like? That would look like you participating in the isolation or the, um, the making of insignificance of a particular group of people. Uh, no, however, I, I don't think that I've ever like directly contributed to that. Um, but I would say, and this is something I think m most people are guilty of, including myself, um, I've definitely been on the sidelines and not, um, uh, and, and not kind of interjected or interfered, rather, 
um, when I when I saw that happening. And this is probably just like more when I was a kid. Uh, I'm definitely a lot. I it, t today in this like if I see you know whatever the case may be happening, I I'm not just gonna like say okay, well I'm not gonna do anything. Right, uh, right, right. Probably speak up, but I I'm sure that like most people you know have been in situations where they haven't spoken up. So I wouldn't say like I've directly. Well, I think that does directly contribute to marginalization. So sure. Another good point. Many people view discrimination and marginalization as a hands-on action or experience, but it's often manifested in turning the other cheek and acting as if these issues don't exist. But not in a sense where I'm directly causing the Right, you've been the bystander, not the sure. perpetrator. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good... <laughs> I like how you <laughs> summarized the whole two-minute uh, monologue I did in, like, three seconds. Yes, thank you. No, you're sharing a lot of important things. Okay, and then last question. What else about your educational experience would you like to share in relation to marginalization or oppression or anything that coincides? In, in terms of my personal experience? Yeah, any, any last thoughts? Uh, I don't think so, no. Head empty. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't... I can't really... I, I can't come up with anything off the top of my head. I need to be prompted with a question. <laughs> no, that's okay. All right, sounds good. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank you for taking your time. Can I see my family now? <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. Now I'm going to move on to my second interview with Audrey. Like Ale, Audrey is also a third-year UT student. She is currently majoring in computer science, one of UT's most competitive, and minoring in communication. Here's what she has to share about her personal education experience. Audrey, thanks for being here today. Hey, Anna, thanks for having me. Of course. I'd like to start off by asking, what was, has your educational experience been like? Uh, fairly good. I've, I think I'm, we, we both were pretty fortunate. We went to the same high school, and so we've had a lot of opportunities to explore different interests. I think most public schools do have a pretty solid curriculum, so it's been an overall nice education, although I, I've, I was thinking about this uh, a few weeks ago, that I've taken biology like four times, but each time I've taken it, I forgot everything I learned. And so I feel like sometimes like our education system is flawed in the sense that it doesn't like value knowledge retention as much as it could. Audrey brings up an important point. Current education places greater emphasis on test-based learning. This is so that students perform well on current material. However, they are unable to recall the information even months later. But um, Audrey, that's a great point. Yeah, you've taken biology four times. And every time I've had to study the concepts over and relearn the definitions because to, my brain was trained to, okay, quickly memorize this, then clear mm -hmm. new, new space. It wasn't like, okay, let's actually learn these processes. It was like, no, let's learn every piece so I can do well on an assessment and then just keep moving. That's crazy. I think I've experienced similar things in my education too. Just like learn really quickly and then dump everything out to prepare for whatever's next. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah, four times. You should be a professional. <laughs>
We then delved into how she viewed marginalization. Um, okay, what does marginalization mean to you? Marginalization. Uh, generally, when I hear that term, I think of um, people who have been um, boxed into a group that has like not equivalent or, I guess, equitable opportunities. I really like the word she uses here, equitable. So many people and politicians stake their claims to equality, but equality neglects the previous standing and history of each individual. Equity, on the other hand, takes these things into account in order to level the playing field. I'll put it like this. In an example provided by ThoughtCo, in education, equality means providing every student with the same experience. So let's take cafeteria lunch. At the baseline, the price of food is the same for each student. Equity, however, means overcoming discrimination against specific groups of people. A more equitable example in this situation looks like free and reduced lunch so that all students have access to food. Yeah, that's a pretty good definition, yeah. Have you ever experienced anything like that in your educational career? Um. Although definitely not to the, to the degree that some people have experienced it, I think that um, in computer science, definitely, I've been in classes where I was the um, only girl there, and it's hard not to feel like you're treated differently when even the professors are addressing you differently when you're learning the material. What Audrey brings up here is a very large issue that continues beyond the classroom. At the beginning of this year, the U.S. Census released an article that voices some of these concerns. One large one being that men take up 52% of the U.S. workforce, but 73% of all STEM workers. Unfortunately, this means that women, who make up the other half of the workforce, only contribute to 27% of STEM workers in the U.S. And so, in that, in that sense, I feel like... I have been somewhat, not marginalized, but just treated differently. Yeah, I would definitely consider that being marginalization. Um, historically, there's been huge issues with, with women in STEM. Do you have any specific examples or anything that kind of stands out that you'd want to share? Although I feel like it's definitely improved a lot, and I love how there's this huge wave of encouraging women to join the field and, and all of that, that's wonderful. Although I do feel like there sometimes is a disparity in like how, how like I said, how, you're, how you were treated and mm -hmm. addressed um, and what's expected of you and how other peers even will expect what they expect you to know. I feel like definitely some people have underestimated or felt like I um, wasn't as motivated as them, which is really weird to me because, I mean, I'm just here. I'm you're not the just... most motivated person I've ever met. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Audrey's always doing something. Oh, Big brain. So sweet. So sweet. <laughs> in in the long run, how would you say these events, if at all, have impacted you, or um, in in the broader sense of how you see the world, or how you view education, or things like that? These are like hard hitting questions. <laughs> well, don't feel like you have to provide an immediate answer. You can take like some time to think about it. Okay. Audrey's right about these being hard hitting questions, but that's why I believe these conversations to be so valued. It's important to stop and think about how these events have impacted us and the greater society. If we don't share these things with others, it becomes easier to have our voices muddled and forgotten.
Okay, what was the question again? In the long run, how have these events impacted you? In the long run, how has um, my experiences with education impacted me? Um, well, I definitely feel like education shapes your worldview. It's like the first experience you have with other people and interactions, and you decide what you what you what you're drawn to and what you want to learn your major it impacts everything in the end and so I definitely feel like um, my experiences with um, computer science and STEM were kind of dissuading at first that's not the right word is it well I don't know I was gonna ask if you had ever felt like you didn't belong and needed to find something else oh definitely and definitely and even if like even it's difficult to not feel like there's someone out there, there's some tech bro who's been coding for like seven years and he knows so much more than you. And then you're there and you're like, I'm a, I felt at times like I'm a bad representation for women. Like I want to be smarter. I want to be better. And it's hard to compete with somebody who guys who have been like raised to want to pursue this raised to treat this as an interest versus me. Who's only just recently been interested in this and obviously know less. So like, then when I compare myself to people who, who know more, it's hard to feel. It's like a question of doubt, like, mm-hmm. am I supposed to be doing this? Well, that's such a good point, too, as well, because boys and men have historically been, like, groomed for these types of jobs, while with women at best, it's seen as, like, a hobby. But for you, it's something you're, like, really vested in and interested in, and you, you want to do something with. I think you're doing a great job. Oh, thanks. But that's a good segue to my next question. When you have these feelings of, of doubt or insecurity, what, what do you turn to to help you dissuade from those ideas? Uh, I think something wonderful has been seeing other people, other girls in my major who are doing the same things as me and, and knowing that, yeah, we're all, I look at my friend Ariana, I'm like, she's so competent. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if she's competent, why couldn't I be competent too? And so I think it's good to just have other people who are, like you and who are going through the same experiences as you around you in order to encourage yourself yeah and then you can provide that experience for somebody else who's following after you yeah Mm -hmm. um could you describe a time either in computer science or any other arena of life in which you've seen um a type of marginalization in your educational community yeah Uh, sound effect yeah ambiance question was um, when you've seen marginalization within within your educational community there definitely is marginalization in that even at UT although I know that they're trying to bring diverse groups of people in Mm -hmm. I can look in the classroom and there's usually for any person any demographic there might be like only one or two people like them in that Mm -hmm. room and in that way I think like, like we talked about the importance of having people who have shared experience with you in order to encourage you in your educational journey. If you looked in your, the room and there's only one other person who might be like, like you, it'd be really discouraging. So I feel like that's an example of... Yeah, you know. that's a really good point. So, so often when I've been talking to people, they've been trying to come up with like these big answers of how or big instances in which they've seen marginalization but it can be as simple as you know being the only person who looks like you in the classroom like that can be really discouraging Mm -hmm. I know you talked before about how you think UT is trying to do things to help improve this what can you provide some examples of that uh, within CS, I'm an officer for women in computer science, and I noticed there's like huge budgets to try to 
and programs to try to um, encourage groups like um, Women in Computer Science, Hispanic Association of Computer Science, um, Association of Black Computer Scientists, Q++ for people who are LGBTQ+, and there's all these programs and initiatives, so you can tell that they're at least considering it and trying to make an effort with it, mm -hmm. and at least in that way, but like financially, yeah, that's one thing. You can throw money at the problem, but you're not gonna like, it's a systemic thing. It's like the culture you create entirely is a part of it too. This is a frustrating issue that universities create. They mask their diversity in funding. But as Audrey said, throwing money at the problem isn't all that's necessary. You need to change the culture. Yeah, that's a good point. So many people do just throw money instead of thinking about, you know, what are some actual concrete things that we can do instead of so often to me, money seems like something so that schools can just be like, see, look, we're trying, we're doing this with without having to put forth any actual effort. Next, the two of us discussed how UT could be doing a better job at just that. Well, for starters, let more marginalized people into the program to begin with, mm -hmm. like in UT. CS, like, yeah, they have a few people, but then I've even heard it's, like, awful. It's really gross. Some people are like, oh, you're just a token this. I've heard that for, like, really? other people. And it's messed up. Mm -hmm. So they just need to, like, not, not a, a, they're not a token. And B, like, if there was more people from different groups, nobody would get that mindset to begin with. I mm -hmm. mean, everybody who's here is qualified to be here. Mm -hmm. So I think that just encouraging um, diversity and and anybody who's in the program and letting more people in from varied experiences would be beneficial because yeah yeah after that's a great answer <laughs> finally i asked audrey to share some of her connections so that people with an interest in computers science or the mix can get involved oh within women in computer science yes yeah. yeah yeah oh i'm all for that yeah i feel like women in computer science is this everybody who's in cs sees it as this like big organization, but what they should understand about it is that there's small groups within it and different programs. They have so many different programs for any type of person who's interested in stuff like graduate school or interested in um, specific research opportunities. There's so many different avenues within the organization. So I think that if anybody would be interested in women in computer science and just be getting becoming closer with the major, getting to know other people who are doing it. For people interested, how, how would they get contacted with in contact with women in computer science? Uh, we have general meetings each month, and so it would be as simple as, even if they're, if they're not in computer science, they're just interested in technology, they would just need to look on our Instagram page, find the nearest meeting, and just show up. Easy peasy. Okay, mm -hmm. sounds good. Well, thank you, Audrey, for being here with me today and giving yeah. me your time. I thank you so much. Um, yeah. Finally, I'm going to talk with Sewa, a journalism major in their junior year at UT. So what has your educational experience been like and what are your major takeaways? Um, my educational experience has been, I mean, the way I look at it is that I've become more aware of the ways in which, um, you know, white supremacy, nationalism, um, and patriarchy kind of permeate everything that is the institution and that is both you know university and 
um, high school, middle school, elementary school. So um, I would say it's been very colored by those things, um, it, no matter what the intentions have been. Even though I went to a very liberal high school, um, it was almost neoliberal in its um, approaches as well. Um, and also very, um, what's the word? performative in the ways that it tried to inform us about social issues and um, I, you know as I've grown throughout the years I've just kind of recognized the ways in which my own history as an individual have just kind of taken a sideline to what they perceive as important um, and not to say that we shouldn't look at history from a comprehensive view but that's the thing we aren't looking at it from a comprehensive view um, and so uh, I guess to answer kind of vaguely just I felt generally excluded um, and kind of isolated in my educational experience but um, yeah I've just become more aware of that over the years I'm well I'm not happy but <laughs> now that you've brought up exclusion that is a great segue into my next question about what what does marginalization mean to you so it can be in the mostly in the sector of education but also in general um, well you know I think the the most prevalent manner in which we see marginalization in education is the um, divestment of resources and um, kind of these sort of um, policies that limit the access to resources for a lot of schools. Um, going back to my high school experience, we were very privileged to have, um, I, I don't know where this funding necessarily came from, but it was kind of like I was always aware of how the mother school that um, my magnet school was a part of was kind of un part of this underserved population and um, you know I, there was this kind of divide between the people who were in the magnet school and people who were just in the general public school um, and we were kind of seen as the the stuck-up ones or the ones that had it easy mm -hmm. which I can't say was necessarily wrong at least in terms of our what resources we had what opportunities we had um, and so that's a way, and then, you know, of course, the public school was primarily composed of Mexican-American, Hispanic, um, Latinx, and black students. Um, so uh, those are very systemic and institutionalized. And, um, but for me, um, I think I wasn't necessarily marginalized because I did have those privileges and as an individual I am relatively privileged but um, you know my history as a Native American individual is often just disregarded and um, misinterpreted, misrepresented um, and uh, only because I have the agency to correct what I'm taught in school um, was I able to you know have a good sense of my own history but um, other than that I mean and I, that's just from my experience as a native person um, people of you know Mexican-American experience black experience um, they don't see their histories represented in the ways that their community actually remembers it and so that's another way in which um, people are marginalized in the education system mm -hmm. What Sewa brings up here is not an uncommon phenomenon amongst minorities. An article by People cites this concern in the light of Black history within America. Peoples argues that, quote, the system has mostly taught our Black kids that their history begins with slavery, ends with Dr. Martin Luther King having a dream, and depicts Malcolm X and the Black Panthers as unruly Negroes. 
This deliberate erasure of our contributions, movements, and cultural evolution from the traditional system purposefully perpetuates inferiority, end quote. This perfectly sums up our issue. Minority histories are most often discussed in relation to white history. More specifically, students are taught about how the histories and cultures of minorities come into contact with white American history, as opposed to addressing them as unique, individual, complex, and rich stories. Speaking about your Native American identity and how you were talking about previously feeling pushed aside, are there any sort of specific instances that you can remember within your educational career in which like these events occurred? Mm. Um, I mean, I remember, I think the most uh, important ones were when I was youngest, and that was just to, I, I realize now it's the little things, you know, that were implied in that, um, and I can't say the specific example, but essentially the idea that we had somehow agreed to move from our homelands, um, that the Trail of Tears was consensual, that um, we were somehow... Uh, our, our genocide was justified because we were killing colonizers and settlers and people who killed us. Um, and it just was a completely unfair representation. And not only unfair, but it just completely disregarded the fact that we still exist today. And um, talked about us like we were all extinct. And even, uh, for example, the, the Texas native tribes, you know, the Karankawa people, um, Tonkawa, all these other, Leap and Apache, these people still exist today, their cultures are still thriving, but many people would consider them, if you went through an educational uh, upbringing, like in my elementary years, you would have assumed and only known of them as extinct, mm -hmm. and many people still think of them as extinct for that reason, so that's um, something I can reference in that manner, and that kind of carried over into high school, and even only until college was that my only perspective on that from the institution. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do cite like whitewashing and white supremacy as a major source or as a major um, reasoning for marginalization within their, I don't know, educational experience. Would you say that this has had any long-term impacts on you? Lots of people experience like psychological trauma, mental anguish, things like that. Can you speak to anything like that? Yeah, I mean, um, it's just a repeated trauma in realizing you know what has happened to your people and why it's been hidden from you and the things that have been hidden from you um it's heartbreaking and to constantly have this like moment of relearning what you've got like what how how far your people have come um and how that's been tr like it's been tried to hide that from you um it's 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 very upsetting and it's uh disheartening and it makes you it, it's motivating but it's sad that you should you have to feel this way that you need to affect change personally mm -hmm. um because literally everything is designed to misrepresent you and push a narrative that you don't remember or that your community doesn't remember mm -hmm. as the truth um at, for an agenda and i think also uh, a note on white supremacy is that um, people think of white supremacy as only Nazis and um, hate groups, and that's their only idea of what it means. It doesn't mean necessarily that anyone is intending to put white uh, values and history and culture and people over 
non-whites, it means it's it's it, it's just a, a superstructure that prioritizes the concept of whiteness mm -hmm. that is only a concept. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it doesn't necessarily have to be physically violent all the time. Mm -hmm. it, it's like what we've been talking about, like in the education system, it, whiteness is prioritized and history of whiteness is um, over other things. And in even the most subtle ways, it, it sets up this narrative. Because of Brown v. Board, civil rights acts, and anti-discrimination laws, white supremacy within schooling is not often outright. It's most often found baked into the education system, the greater structures within society. Taking just one example given in the Seattle Times, in a study completed in 2020, teachers were asked to rate their students academically. Upon review, many teachers rated black students lower than their white peers. But here's the kicker. The students' raw scores and academic performances were identical. In cases such as these, teachers are subliminally impacted with pro-white, anti-black rhetoric that influences how they view their students. Here, white supremacy is much less outright and much more difficult to place your finger on. Yeah, the education system has a really large problem with perpetuating whiteness, both in like, in your face types of ways, but also in really subliminal ways. Mm -hmm. like you know, with just miseducation in general. So if there was one way or, you know, one kind of collective way that you wish um, you could change the way that the education system handles these issues or improve one way in which these problems are addressed, what would your solutions be? Frankly, um, <laughs> the pushback against critical race theory has, has only made things worse um, because that's the, the closest thing we'll ever get to uh, actually addressing white supremacy in education. Um, and frankly, it's, it's almost like the institution itself is, I don't want to say too far gone, but it's like, it's hard to reimagine it without it, that superstructure there. Um, but a good step in that direction is not, I feel like if we taught people of all races to address their prejudices and biases um, without judgment, mm. um, that would be a huge first step. I mean, for example, like my community and myself, you know, we, although we've been discriminated against by certain groups, we also have a long history of discriminating other groups. Um, and it's important. And then we just internalize those things, you know. For a lot of people that are non-black, for example, like anti-blackness is just normalized in a lot of communities, and um, it's and the same goes for you know white people. Like that racism or implicit bias is just internalized, and if we taught people to just you know conceive of it and to not necessarily like. Some, like succumb to white guilt or succumb to guilt in general like it's not productive at all to do that so if we just taught people to confront these biases in a manner that's actually productive then i think we would get closer to making a more equitable um educational experience for you know students and teachers i completely agree like within my day-to-day -day life and education i see that white guilt is a really big problem because it results in like this huge defensiveness which like 
automatically makes people turn off their brains and you know just have that one train of thought of well I'm not racist just yeah. because there's that guilt that exists there so yeah. getting rid of that could be really beneficial mm-hmm. um, are there anything is there anything else about your educational experience or any final thoughts that you'd like to share um, no I mean I think I've pretty much said all I need to say um, thank you for interviewing me I, I love to talk about this stuff mm-hmm. Uh, anything you wanted to ask? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was it. Thank you for giving me your time. I really appreciate it. Of course, thank you. What can we learn from these interviews? I believe our main takeaway is that for UT and education and schooling in general, there's still much work to do in order for schooling to become more inclusive for college students. Although the university stands in pride of its 6% rule, in which the university automatically admits the top 6% of all Texan high school students, which has been shown to increase the campus's diversity in terms of bodies, there is still work to be done to ensure that these students' needs are not pushed aside when they actually arrive.